we, we're going to continue looking at the Father of glory and the glory of the glory of God and the glory of the God of glory and the Lord of glory and the King of glory, and we're looking at glory. Can you get the point? <laughs> All right. A lot of glory. Okay. <laughs> it's always good to have Joel in the room with us. It, it really is. I told Linda the other day, you know, I miss, I'm missing Joel and Bobby, you know. And, okay. So that's good. Um, but uh, we started last week, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. Uh, we'll just get, get rolling here. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Our dearly Father, we thank you for the morning and we thank you for the opportunity to come together, to fellowship one with another, to enjoy each other's company and presence because of who we are in your Son. And as we look here at your glory plan, the plan that you established about glory, and we look at your glory and the glory that you have deemed for your creation to be basked in, we'll just do so with our hearts open and our ears of understanding and to be enlightened, and we'll have, give you the praise and the honor and the glory. In your name we pray, amen. We started last week looking at the fact here about the Father of glory. And I, I picked that up because God has a plan, and he called it glory. And that plan, if you look across the page there in verse 9 and 10, he begins to say, Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. And as we talked last week about the glory, the father of glory and his plan, I, I began to think about, well, I, there's some other titles and there's some other things that we need to get into our thinking about it. And, you know, I'll be honest with you. Come over with me to first, uh, where's that at? Second Corinthians. This isn't on the overhead. I got the overhead running. Doesn't mean anything. 2 Corinthians 12. I, I really, I got to thinking about this, and, and, and I think about this kind of stuff when I'm driving my school bus, so then the, the kids go, uh, bus driver, you missed a stop. <laughs> it's like, okay, shoot, you know, make the block, come back, drop them off, <laughs> and go, uncle, you know, and then I call in. Uh, if anybody calls, uh, traffic, yeah, we had traffic issues, and, you know, <laughs> off, off we go. But I was thinking about something here. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 1. It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such a one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth. Paul describes, well, verse 4, how that he was caught up into, the, into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for me to utter. And Paul describing that event of, of, of being caught up into the third heaven. And he was left for dead there outside of Lister and Derby. And he goes up and he's going to get some revelations and so forth that the time isn't right right then to reveal it's coming. But I got to looking at that fact that, you know what, look, look at how he says this. Whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. When he left and moved from one realm into the other realm, it was smooth. It wasn't a shock. It wasn't a surprise. It was like, 
hey, this is home. This is cool. This is really interesting. So it, it piqued my interest of uh, how do you do that? How do you, how do you know? Well, how do you know that? You know the doctrine. You begin to understand what's going on, and you begin to look at it, and you begin to say, hey, you know what? I can know some things. That's why we looked last week back in Ephesians 3 there where he talks about being able to comprehend what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height, and to know the love of Christ. You can comprehend this. You can understand it. By the way, you're to comprehend it with all the saints. That means all of us are to know this. All of us are to understand this because what happens in life right now is it's pretty ugly. I don't know if you pay attention to the politics of our day. Okay? You don't? Good for you. Okay? I don't see how you can't. It's everywhere. Now, whether, wherever you land is where you land, but what, what's coming is going to radically change this country, okay? Whether you're on the conservative side of the bill or the liberal side or the communist, social side, socialism side. It's going to, economically, it's going to, but what about you and I? Whoop-de-doo for my Subaru. <laughs> it doesn't matter for us. Well, Rick, wait a minute, my 401k, yeah, are you going to take that 401k to heaven with you? Not at all. It just makes life a little easier right now. I got that. I'm not against 401ks. I've got one. Our perspective needs to be adjusted. Some of you guys can sit down and fight about every political item and every agenda piece and all this stuff, and I'll be honest with you, you're blowing smoke where smoke, anyway. You need to pay attention to this. This is what's eternal. See? When you die and go to heaven, you don't take you only take one item with you. Who you are in Christ. Let's build that up. We get so enwrapped with life and what's going on around us that when we begin to look at things like this issue about the Father of glory, people go, Wow, I didn't even know that. Well, it's been on your pages since he wrote it. We've just never paid attention to it and look at it. And I want to look at that. And in order for us to understand what we're going to be doing, that issue of, come back over to Ephesians 2. Start here, we'll end here. I want to spend some time with you, again, laying back in some foundational information, and then we're going to move on it and some advancement here and stuff that as we begin to look at it, about what you and I are going to be doing in the heavenly places, how we get there, and then what are we doing. Because everybody says, well, we're going to be seated together with him in the heavenly place, well, Ephesians 2, 6, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Okay, Rick, what are we doing? What are we doing when, we, when we're sitting with him? Well, verse 7, what's the first word? That, the intent. Here's why we're going to be raised and seated. That, in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Okay, what is that? Well, we're going to get to that, okay? I want you to understand that you and I are going to participate in the plan that the Father calls glory, where we're going to manifest his glory. Come back over with me to Romans 1. You begin to see this in, in throughout the scripture. So this morning we're going to talk about the glory of the glory of God. There's a lot of glory in there, but I just want you to see this 
as we begin to move forward. Romans 1, verse 18. We're not to this verse yet in our Roman study, but we'll start here. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. It's interesting how he defines ungodliness for you in that verse. They hold the truth in what? Unrighteousness. They, don't, they, they take the truth and they change the truth into a lie. Worship and serve the creature more than the creator. Verse 19, because that which may be known of God is, what, manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. God put out on demonstration on manif- and manifested in man, in creation, What did they do? Verse 23. And changed the what? The glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like the corruptible man to the birds and the four-footed beasts and creeping things. What did they do to the glory that God manifested out there in creation and in a man about his, who he was, his eternal Godhead and power? They changed it, didn't they? Verse 24, God responds in judgment, wherefore God also gave them up. He looks over there and he lets them go. It's interesting when you talk about the glory. What did man do? Messes it up. By the way, come back to Jeremiah 13. I I didn't put that one up there. That's okay. Jeremiah 13. I did this late. I did the overhead late at night. Don't ask how late, but it was late, early this morning. And uh, so I don't re- really remember what I put up there or not. Jeremiah 13. You see, ultimately, God's judgment falls on man because they refuse to give God the glory. So I think it's important that we start here in our study about the plan and that issue of his glory. Jeremiah 13. Look at Israel. The old, I tell you what, you find a lot of stuff about God's glory in the Old Testament that he rolls right on over on for us. Jeremiah 13, he talks to Israel here, verse 15, and he says, Hear ye and give ear. Be not proud, for the Lord hath spoken. Give, give glory to the Lord your God, because he caused dark, before he caused darkness... And before your feet stumble upon the dark mountains, and while you look for light, he turned it into the shadow of death and made it gross darkness. But if ye will not hear it, my soul shall weep in secret places for your pride, and mine eyes shall weep sore and run down with tears, because the Lord's flock is carried away in captivity. What happened to Israel when they didn't give God the glory? They're carried away. They were in a mess. So under the law, come back to Acts 7, under the law, under Old Testament, no glory given, same thing's going to happen. God judges them, didn't he? Caused them to walk and to be carried away. So when you begin to look at the glory of the God of glory, there's really two categories, two big categories, a lot of information, and they really begin to fit in really two two generalized big categories. One is the glory that God has in himself. 
And then two, the glory that the creatures, the creation, is to give him. Follow that? So one, it's in himself. And then two, who you are to give to him. Acts 7, we looked at this passage last week. Uh, these, actually, these two passages, but we'll just look at them again. Acts 7, verse 1. Then said the high priest, are these things so? And he said, men and brethren and fathers, hearken, the God of glory, and he's quoting Psalms 29 there of, of David, the God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dealt in Sharon. And when he quotes, come over there to Psalms 29, when he quotes Psalms 29, verse number 3, David writes, the voice of the Lord is upon the waters, the God of glory thundereth. The Lord is upon many waters. You see, David, the God of glory, thunders. Glory, God inherently possesses glory. It is within him. He has it. He doesn't have to go get it from anybody. He has it in himself. He possesses it. So when you come back to Romans 3, I, I, I got you bouncing around, just wake you up. It's nice outside, get a little warm in the sun, you start snoozing, get a little coffee. Romans 3, you, okay? You get a little donut, or boy, the brownies were good. <laughs> you know, you get a little of that, you get a little of this, and the next thing you know, you're like, <clears throat> not this morning, we're going to keep you awake. Look at Romans 3, verse 23, a verse that we all know, don't we? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of who? Of God. It's, we come short of what? We come short of his character. Who he is. Isaiah 6, the passage, he says that the whole earth will be filled with his glory. Him, himself, who he is. Come back with me to Exodus 33. So God has glory that is his by the virtue of him being God. Exodus 33, Exodus chapter 33, Exodus 33, notice Moses here, Exodus 33, verse number 12, and Moses said unto the Lord, see thou sayest unto me, bring up this people and thou shalt not let me, uh, <coughs> sorry, Exodus 33, 12, and Moses said unto the Lord, see, Thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people." Notice what, Paul, what Moses is saying there to the Lord. Prove it. You said all this, now prove it to me. Now watch the Lord answering. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. Now that ought to have been enough, right? Okay, thank you, Lord. <laughs> but not in Moses. Moses, and he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up henceforth. 
For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace? How are you going to know this? Well, verse 18. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. The presence of God, verse 14, my presence shall go with thee, is equal to show me thy glory in verse 18. Now watch verse 19, because here's the glory of God. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. The glory of God has to do with this, the manifestation of all that God is. His attitudes, His attributes, His character is manifested. It has to do with it shine, the, the shining forth of, of all that He is in Himself. Come over to chapter 34. All of the perfection, all the the, I, I try to think of how to say this and describe it. The beauty of his character. When he says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, you will see all of my goodness. That's his glory. That's who he is. Radiant, shining. Chapter 34, verse 5. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord... The Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in goodness and truth. How about that? There's God's grace. Now watch verse 7. Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sins, and that will by no means clear the guilty. Boy, there's God's justice. In a description of his glory, of his goodness, he says, here's my grace and here's my justice. The glory of God. It is a manifestation of everything and all that he is. It's the embodiment of all of his attitudes in this blazing light shining forth we call that the shekinah glory if you do a little slap a little hebrew on your cheek okay it's a cloud the presence of the lord the manifestation of 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 everything and who he is his grace his righteousness his justice his integrity come over to john chapter 1 you guys following what we're doing? Well, it's about time, Brother Paul. <laughs> Look at John 1. Touche. Okay. Look at John 1. Folks, when we talk here about the glory of God, the glory of the glory of God, it's a manifestation. You're going to make it known. He's going to make it known, a, 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 rep, a bright light, a radiant light, blazing representation of all that he is in himself. This is all in himself. We haven't done, we don't do any of this. This is him. This is who he is. Look at John 1, verse 14. 
And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Who's the Word? The Lord Jesus Christ, right? And we beheld, notice, His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ was the glory bodily. He manifesting everything of who the Godhead was right there bodily. Colossians 2, over there in verse 9, and he's, uh, I just had it, hang on, don't go there. Hold on to John. Colossians 2, 9, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You see, Jesus Christ, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father. Come over to chapter 11 of John. John 11. You see, when you begin to talk about this thing about glory, sometimes we think of it in an abstract way. But it's really not. It's just, here is who he is. He's gracious, long-suffering. Could you imagine forgiving all the sins and, whole, not, and, and not clearing the guilty? <laughs> I mean, that's you and I can't do that because, you, you know, you rub me the wrong way, we're going to go at it, right? That's usually how we think. He doesn't have that. John 11, you have the resurrection, the raising of Lazarus, down to verse 39. Jesus said, take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see, notice, the glory of God. You know what she expected when he came out of that tomb? For him to do what? Stink. She was looking for something. She was looking for the power of God. We saw that over in Ephesians there when he, where he put it on display when the resurrection of Christ. But notice what Christ says. You're, what do you, look at what you're seeing here. Isn't power, it's what? Glory. That manifestation of his power. Because he's got the power. He's got the might. Come over to chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 27. Again, Jesus, he's, they, they've gone into the, he's had the triumphal entry. So we're a week out before he goes to Calvary. He's, up, he's moving them to the upper room in, in chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16 to deal with the, with the 12, well, the 11, get them ready for leadership. And he says in verse 27, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. What's he doing? He's down in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's getting ready for Calvary. And he says, like, looks down in that cup and says, hey, can you, if this cup can pass, let it pass. Am I supposed to say that? Watch verse 28. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Chapter 13, verse 31. Therefore, 
When he was gone out, Judas Iscariot has left. Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified, notice, in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, you know who was glorified? The Godhead was. They were glorified. All of God's attributes were on, ex- on, on exhibit. You could see them all there at the, at the cross. You, can, you see the manifestation of God's holiness, His justice, His love, His power, His wisdom. You see it all. He's hanging there, and, they, and the bulls of Bashan come up to him and begin to mock him and say, Hey, why don't, if you're the king, come on down and save yourself. If you're all this stuff. And he just kept rolling. He looks down there and he says, You know what? There's a verse in Psalms that has to be fulfilled. So he says, I thirst. Seven times he speaks from the cross. All seven are designed to fulfill some scripture and prophetic passages that are there that he's got to get done and he says I thirst and they go over and get the vinegar and the gall and all uh, no no gall but the vinegar and they put it up there why because psalm said that's what has to happen so when the bible begins to talk about the intrinsic glory of God he's talking about the attributes of God being manifest made visible known put out there for all to see. That's the glory that belongs to him because he's God. Now, think about something. Think about, I'm just going to get those up there. Okay? Let's go. Come over with me back to Ephesians 2, just real quick. There is a glory that he has in himself. And then there is a glory that he's, there's a glory that was given to him and himself and who he is. And now there's going to be a glory that's going to come from creation. You know, we can never add to the glory that belongs to him, it's his. We can't take away from it. When Moses looks at him and says, show me your face, he shows him his hinder parts. If you read around in that context, that's because God's angry with Israel at the moment. And if man had looked on an angry face of God, Moses would not have been alive. It would have killed him instantly. And the Lord knows that. You can't add or take away from him. But notice Ephesians 2 verse 7 closely. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness. So his glory, his attributes. Where? Towards us. Through Christ Jesus. There is a glory that we can give God. That we will give God. How do we do that? It's a wonderful word called godliness. God-likeness. Where you and I come and we begin to reveal the glory of God, who He is to the world around us in our day, right where we're at. Come over to 2 Timothy 
First uh, Timothy, sorry. It's not on the overhead. I'm apologizing. First Timothy 4. Again, look at verse number 8. You see, folks, out there in the ages to come, right now in time, when we manifest who we are in Christ, that's why I talk about it so much. You know, it's like beating a dead horse. <laughs> but it isn't a dead horse. Because when you and I live as who we are in Christ, the world sees us. What do they see? They see His glory. As we manifest that, Ephesians, or 2 Timothy 4, verse number 8, but godly exercise, but bo- godly, but bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable, having all, unto all things, having the promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. You see, folks, he's using us right now in time. Come back with me to 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles 16. And you might as well stick something in 1 Chronicles. You see, he's using us right now in time to manifest and to demonstrate who he is. How can this world see the grace of God? He's revealed it in his Bible, in his book, hasn't he? But does the world pick the book up and go, oh, hey, there's God. Most of the world is that fool in their heart has said what? There is no God. That's most of the world today. I talk to them. They ride my bus. Little dudes. Have you ever thought about who God is? No. Then I get the religious kids. Oh, yeah, we know who he is. He's the great spirit and all this stuff. I'm like, oh, okay. I'll calm down that one. Look at First Chronicles 16. When you think about him manifesting his glory in us, obviously it's going to fall in two right division comes to play, doesn't it? There's Israel's part, Ephesians 1.10, all things in heaven and in earth. First Chronicles 16, notice verse 24, 1 Chronicles 16.24, declare his glory among the heathen. Now, if you go back up, verse 23, Sing unto the Lord, all the earth. Show forth from day to day his salvation. David, this is David. He's singing a song. Okay? If you look back at verse 7, Then on that day David delivered first this psalm to thank the Lord into the hand of Asaph and his brethren. So David is delivering a song. And Israel is going to begin to sing, verse 23. Sing unto the Lord, all the earth. Show forth from day to day his salvation. Declare his glory among the heathen, his marvelous works among all nations. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He also is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Glory and honor are in his presence. Strength and gladness are in his place. Give unto the Lord, and you just keep on going. Verse 36, blessed be the Lord God of Israel forever and ever. And all the people said, amen, and praise the Lord. What is going on in Israel? What were they to do for all of the heathen, for all of those Gentile nations out there to see? What were they designed to show forth? His glory. 
Look at what we're doing. Look at what God's doing. He was so rich to this group of people that, you know what we want to do? We want to become part of that group of people. Come over to chapter 29 of 1 Chronicles. David is going to exhort the people here, continues to do this. By the way, Matthew 6, verse 13, the Our Father prayer. Our Father, heart in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. (coughs) Give us, oh, I just had it. Doggone it. All right, you religious guys. No, That's how religious. Give us, uh, the, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debtors as we forgive our debt, debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. For how long? Forever. That Old Testament saint in the kingdom out there will sing and pray this prayer as they are in the millennial kingdom. And he says, thy glory, thy power is going to last for how long? Forever. As Israel, 1 Chronicles 29, as Israel sits and magnifies who he is. 1 Chronicles 29, a great thing. Verse 1, furthermore, David, the king said unto all the congregation. He's talking to the whole nation about what he's been doing, verse 6. Ah, you know what, verse 10. Wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation, and David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Boy, look at what David did. That's what that nation is expressing out there as they go forward and as they defeat the adversary and as they go in and they they do what they're supposed to be doing. Look at verse 12. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all, and in thine hand is power and might, and in thy hand is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. You see, folks, the nation of Israel obeying the commandments, doing what they're supposed to be doing, is reflecting back just who God is, giving God the glory. That's Israel. They're doing that. But guess what? So do we. Come on over with me to Philippians chapter 1. I just want you to see. I hope you're catching what we're trying to do here. I, I hope. If not, you've got to say, uh-uh. And then I'll look at you and say, listen to the tape again. Okay? <laughs> Philippians chapter 1. The reason is, is because there's a glory. God's got glory himself, but his design and creation was for that creation to turn and to give glory back to him, reflect back to him those issues and those attributes and that manifestation there. Philippians 1, notice verse 20. Paul here. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me, 
To live is Christ and to die is gain. What's, Christ, what's Paul saying there? He's got all this stuff going on. You go back up through that passage, you got guys, he's in jail. Some are glad. Some are preaching about him and talking about him. And he's like, hey, Christ is being preached. That's okay. Let it go. Uh, you know, it's okay. It's good to go. We won't worry about it. They'll get there in, in the end. And, and, and he just looks up and you know what he says? No matter what's going on, guys, Christ is to be what? Magnified. Put it on display. Jesus Christ needs to be exalted in the world. Needs to be manifested out there. And the people doing it is you and I. That's who's doing it. Come over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I think we miss this sometimes. He's got glory because he's God. But his desire then... for If he has made us complete in Christ... And he has. If he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings, and he has. Then when we go out and live life and in those identity issues, who are we just demonstrating? Him. So then when friend or foe see us, who are they supposed to be seeing? Well, there comes that stinking Rick again. He's going to run that red light. Just watch him. You know, 1 Corinthians 6, I love this ver- these verses. <laughs> um, I'm in 2 Corinthians, that's why it's not matched. I love these verses, I really do. 1 Corinthians 6, because they, they get you to think in verse 19 and 20. What? Uh-oh, you know whenever you ask a question, it's in trouble. Something's coming. What? No... Ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. Don't you know this? Don't you understand who you are? Don't you get this? And he's talking to the Corinthians who are carnal. they're, They're off doing things. Verse 20, for ye are bought with a price. Don't you know who bought you? Don't you know that when he paid that sin penalty and he got you out of that slave market of sin down there and he got you out of the gutter of life and of, of, of sin, that he bought you? He paid the price required by the justice of God to satisfy the righteousness of God to get you out of that mess? Don't you Corinthians remember Romans 1 through 8? What are you, stupid? Don't you remember? I, Paul, I, I, I know it's not here, and you got to be politically correct, and don't use the S word, I got it. But Paul's not happy here. He's a little warm under the collar. Because Now watch the rest of verse 20. Therefore, because you know who you are, because you are operating on the identity doctrines, because you understand all that Christ has given to you, therefore... Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Glorify God where? In your body. Okay? Notice it doesn't say, ladies, you've got to wear dresses and long denim jackets. Didn't say that, did it? 
Men, you got to wear a shirt and ties and uh, shorts. He didn't say that. He just says what? In who you are, where you're at. I tell, I tell folks over and over again, this is going to look like it looks in your life. Because your life is not my life. It's your life. Who you are, right in the moment, we are to take who we are. And we are to glorify God in our bodies to the world. So when the world looks over and they see you and who you are in Christ doing what you do, they would sit there and say, I'd like to be a part of that. How do I be a part of that? Or do they look over there and go, I don't want anything to do with that. That's crazy. What's our job? Our job, come over to 2 Corinthians 4. You see, our job, folks, is to glorify him, manifest him. 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessel that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Chapter 3, verse 5, he says, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Folks, that passage in Romans 12, he says over there, I don't want you to look over there real quick. Come on. we got five minutes. Romans 12. Romans 12. Hold on to Corinthians. Romans 12. Romans 12, verse 3. Romans 12, verse 3. And get, okay, Romans 12, verse number 3. For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. You know what? If you are walking by faith and who you are in Christ, come back there to 2 Corinthians 4. You know what's going to happen? You're going to know your sufficiency is of God and not of me. Because all I'm going to do is mess it up. All I'm going to do is struggle with it. Verse 8, we are troubled, 2 Corinthians 4, 8. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. How in the world can you be that way? The world looks at you, 2 Corinthians 4. Did I tell you that? Okay. You guys are looking at the overhead. I'm, I'm not on the overhead right now, okay? Second, literally. Well, it's up there, but it's down the ways. Second, Second Corinthians 4. I just read verse 8 and 9. How can you do that? How can you be troubled on every side, yet not distressed? How can you be perplexed, but not in despair? How can you be persecuted but not forsaken? How can you be cast down but not destroyed? All, how? How can that happen? It, it can happen. Paul's saying it does happen. Paul's saying your focus is that. Verse 10. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus 
might be made manifest in our body. That's the idea. For we, we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. That's wonderful. The glory of the God of glory. He's got it in himself just because of who he is. When you and I came to Calvary and we trusted the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, he moves us from in Adam to out of Adam. He moves us out of Adam and into Christ. So we take on what characteristics? Him. So what do we do? We turn and we manifest His glory. First Corinthians 10. Well, you know what? You know what, let that go. Run over to Philippians 1. Folks, when you think about, we looked at John 1. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory of Him, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. Christ was made flesh, right? Demonstrating the glory of the Godhead. You and I, are made one. We're bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. We have the same ability to do what? Demonstrate the glory of the Godhead. The flow of our life should be in the direction of having the Lord Jesus Christ, his glory, his attributes, his thinking, his mindset. The fruit of the Spirit be the focus of it. The flow of our lives should be that. I sat last night, watched the coyotes on TV. I was looking for Nick and Susie. I don't know if they were there or not. I'm like, oh, oh, no, okay. You know, but I was hockey. And I watched, you know what you watch in that game? The ebb and the flow. Both teams have one goal. Get that little round puck in that net more than the other guy. But there's an ebb and there's a flow with one goal. Our lives are that way. We ebb and we flow. Good days, bad days, big up the hill, down the hill, you know, with one goal. And that's to be who we are in the net, in Christ. Philippians 1. Paul prays here, and he says, verse 9, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, being that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. He says, I want your love, that mental attitude of esteeming and thinking about this the way I think about it, the way Christ thinks about it. 
I want that to grow in you. I want that to abound more and more in some knowledge and knowing what's going on, knowing this glory plan, knowing every little detail. But also so that you can make some wise decisions. Approving things that are excellent. But notice that verse doesn't stop there. Usually we stop. That ye may be, what? Sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, till the, till the day of redemption, till the rapture. And I think about that and I go, man, what is he talking about? We are already in Christ. We're already accepted. But over there in 2 Corinthians 5, he says that my labor may be accepted. You see, this walk of life is designed for you and I to get to the goal and to ebb and flow and to slide into it. Because what's going to happen at that judgment seat of Christ? There's going to be a review. And when that review happens, we're going to talk about it. When that review happens, he's going to present that church to himself without spot and blemish. Holy, perfect, Ephesians 5 says. And Paul says, I want you to have that right now. I don't want you to wait for it. I don't want you to think maybe you're going to get it one day. I want you to have it right now. Because life stinks. And you're going to suffer trouble and things are going to come up and the ebb's going to flow and the flow ain't going to ebb and next thing you know you've done toe-heeled spiked into the wall. Get up. Let's move on. Because watch verse 11. Being filled with the fruits of what? Isn't that what we all want to have? Which are by... Isn't that interesting? Jesus Christ. Unto the what? The glory and the praise of God. Colossians 1 verse 27, he says the hope of... Uh, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Folks, he would want your life to flow and to ebb and to go so that the fruits of righteousness are what is on display. They're only going to come by Jesus Christ, and their goal is to bring glory and praise and honor to God. That's the glory of the God of glory. When he looked at Adam and he makes Adam and Eve, I think about that. And, you know, what a chuckle. He had to chuckle, just kind of give a laugh. But he makes, and he looks over there and he says, Adam, you're going to go out here and this is what you're going to do. And you're going to subdue it all back under my headship, ultimately. Adam dropped the ball. That's okay. He knew he would. Christ is sitting on the sideline going, put me in, put me in, put me in. I'm ready to go. Because he knew the plan, and he understood. And he knew that he was going to be the last Adam. And when he came and, in his earthly ministry, walks and does and do, everything, he does it as a demonstration of man manifesting the glory of God in life, in time, in the moment. We have that picture. Paul says, you see that over there? That's what we're to be doing over here. 
Same thing. There are two titles that come up out of this as we get started. One is called the King of Glory, and the other is the Lord of Glory. We'll get those next time, okay? The flow of life. In the new heaven, I don't know if you've ever thought about, considered the things of the new heaven and the new earth. When we go back, creation goes back to the Genesis 1-1 status. If God wanted robots in his creation, he would have made robots. He didn't. He wanted a creation that would willingly, out of a choice of their will, worship and praise and honor and bring glory to him. There we are in the new heaven and the new earth. As we, Ephesians 2, 6, and 7, the ages to come, what are we manifesting? Him. We put it on display. Okay? Now we'll look at the two titles next time, and then we're going to go jump into how he's going to work the plan out. But there's a plan here. Okay? And it's called glory. Why? Because he is the God of glory. All right? All right. Dear Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word, for the folks here, for their willingness to sit and, and to listen and to think about these things and to consider them and to work them through in their own thinking as we manifest your life daily in our lives so that you would have the glory and the praise. And we can only do that because of who we are in your Son. And we'll give you the thanks for that and the honor and the glory. Amen. All right. Thank you, guys. We'll stand. We'll be dismissed with the song.